Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Uh, the massive racing story this week as we embark on our talking points was the news that broke on Thursday that Asheen Murphy had tested positive for a metabolite of cocaine in France, tested positive on July the 19th this year and was informed of his positive on August the 19th. He awaits his B sample. He was at Chelmsford on Thursday evening and he spoke to our own Nick Lightfoot, who began by asking Asheen for a timeline of events. So I rode in Chantilly on the 19th of July and there was a normal um, routine uh, testing procedure. Uh, I did my urine sample and um, I rode and I came home. Uh, I didn't think anything of it. Uh, we're tested nearly every month in Britain and obviously regularly abroad as well. Then on the 19th of August uh, at York I got a text through and... Um, and I was informed by Franz Gallo that I had failed uh, from the A sample, uh, from their readings, I had failed the test uh, for metabolites of cocaine, but uh, without revealing any levels or any more information. So I spoke to the PGA immediately and obviously uh, the people closest to me, and I organised a hair sample um, to be taken, and that was done... Uh, in front of two people and it was uh, video recorded and then that was sent off for independent analysis uh, they took four strands of hair uh, which would were, which were cover a three month period and then four days later on the 26th of August uh, it was revealed that I had passed the hair sampling uh, there was no traces of cocaine mm -hmm. at all in the samples uh, Further correspondence with Franz Gallo uh, through the PGA um, revealed that they would test my B sample in the coming weeks. Um, I had to release a statement earlier today as uh, the story had got round. Yep. Um, and also it's a weight off my shoulders. I've, I've been riding uh, you know, as, as to the best of my ability. Uh, I've been look, I had a great week last week. And, yep. But... Um, Something needed to be said today, and uh, I'm pleased it's out there. You say that you have been riding to the best ability. That's obviously not up for debate, um, and week in, week out, having winners. But given that it is way back at the end of August, we're now October the 1st since this statement's come out, has it, has it at all been weighing on your mind in the time since? Well, people will probably examine every ride now, and if I've given a horse a bad ride, they might say, oh, it's, it's due to this weight on my shoulders. Yeah. But, um, but no, I've had a brilliant support team, and, uh, and I am innocent, and I think the people closest to me believe in, um, in my innocence, so I've been able to push it out of my head. And again, it's, it's a few hours since I heard about it, since many people heard about it. It is a number of weeks for you, a number of months now. What are your feelings about this, this ongoing process as we speak now? Um, not a lot. Uh, I've got to trust in Franz Gallo and, and, um, and just, you know, carry on as normal. Um, there's a lot of important things going on in the world at the moment, and, yeah. and obviously this is crucial in my career, um, but it's out of my control. Was, when that first uh, test came back and the, the result was positive, that A sample, as you discussed way back when, was it a sense of disbelief for you? Yeah, of course. Um, I don't come into contact with drugs. And, yeah. um, I didn't ever expect to hear from Franz Gallo or any other, you know, BHA or wherever I ride around the world. Um, 
I don't take even painkillers. I have an inhaler, that's about it. What's the next step in this? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to hear back from Franz Gallo. Uh, that's going to take a few weeks. Um, you know, in an ideal world, the headlines uh, wouldn't have come out today. Uh, mm. We could have waited until, you know, until we were uh, we had a clearer picture of what the next steps were. But um, now we have to wait on on uh, the B sample. Ashim Murphy speaking with Nick Lightfoot on Thursday at Chelmsford, and that is where we begin this week's talking points. At this point, there is actually not that much more to say, Neil Channing, but the floor is yours to react on what you just heard earlier in the week, Anna Sheen's um, measured statement there to Nick Lightfoot. Well, first of all, you know, it, it's not really up to me to say whether I think he's guilty or innocent. You know, it doesn't make any difference what I think. You know, he says he's innocent. I've got no reason to disbelieve him. Um, until we see the result of the B sample, um, He's, he's not, you know, if the B sample comes back and, and it's negative, then... That's the matter is closed. Yeah, so, um, you know, that could happen. It, it's unlikely, I think, but it could happen. Um, the other thing is, you know, it must be terrible that it was July, this race in Deauville. It's three months uh, now. You know, it took a month to get the A sample. He's not going to get the result of the B sample till the end of this week, I think. Um it seems like I said it to my missus. She, she said these French people, you know, they they do it in their own sweet. She's French. She's French. <laughs> she said that. they do it in their own sweet time. That's how we do things over there. But uh, I mean, that seems a bit bad, really. The hair sample. I can understand why he's done that because he wants to establish that you know he's totally innocent. But it's not going to cut any ice. No. There's a, we have an established precedent here, uh, you know, with um, Robbie, Downey. Uh, Robbie Downey and and uh, you know Rab obviously Havlin. Rab Havlin had the same situation. Um, and for that reason, and given what happened to those guys, uh, he's just going to get six months, isn't he? Because, uh, you know, the, the, the B sample, assuming the B sample comes back positive, which seems unlikely that it won't, um, given that the A sample has, uh, and it's, you know, it's the same sample, basically, um, they'll go to the disciplinary, uh, and the BHA you know, have to go along with whatever the other jurisdiction says, unless yes. they have a really good reason not to, which the they only, don't. The only way the BHA <clears throat> will not reciprocate France Gallo's <clears throat> decision, if the decision is to give him a ban, is if they find France Gallo's procedures yeah. to have flouted their own regulations, Absolutely. which they haven't. So, so, so the BHA, their hands are tied, uh, so he can appeal, uh, assuming he gets a six-month ban, uh, but the ban will have already started. Yeah. The, the appeal will delay, will delay the, the ban. Delay the may ban. Not want to delay the he ban. may not want to delay it because It'll having a ban in the winter is probably better than having a, 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 a ban in you know the spring. Uh, so I guess he's just going to take the six months eventually right. and, and try and prove his innocence by the hair sampling and whatever. And actually, I think the people around him, you know, he's got like he said, he's got a lot of good people around him. They all believe he's innocent. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I looking back at Rab Havlin or whatever, the way that John Gosden spoke out about him, I don't think it's harmed his career long term. People generally in racing feel like he was innocent. Mm. It's just it's just a you know, cross contamination, the fact that France is a much smaller in, threshold. Yeah, important to deal with facts, but also mm. important to deal with 
what what we might learn, which is, again, the disparity in the threshold. 50 mm. nanograms per milliliter of urine in yeah. France, 150 nanograms per milliliter of urine mm. in England and Ireland. So is there a case for the authorities to get together again and say, yeah, sure. we either adopt the WADA standard <clears throat> yeah. doping procedures that you've got in France, yeah. or, or France Gallo move towards a, an Anglo-Irish mechanism which accounts for some form of trace contamination? And again, it's, it goes back to what we were talking about before with you were talking with Aidan O'Brien. Um, you know, America may be a whole different world, but it, it seems that France and Ireland and, and the UK... Uh, could come together somehow and, yeah. and have a kind of standardised procedure because, yeah, I mean, that's been the problem in all of these cases, really. OK, that uh, is a story, of, obviously, which we will continue to monitor through the next few weeks. Ah, the Racing League, third time lucky for the Racing League, formerly known as Championship Horse Racing, has got its fixtures from the BHA. Mm -hmm. They've kept their money pot, so that's safe. That will be a big help <laughs> to them this year, there's no doubt about yeah. that. And they'll have... Uh, um, uh, a string of televised fixtures on mm -hmm. Thursday nights on Sky Sports. They're off and running. Yeah, it's, it seems like you have to be a bit of a meanie to be negative about this, don't you? I mean, I sort of understand that racing is full of people that don't like change. Uh, and I get it that it's not really a team sport, that uh, at the end of the day it is quite individualistic. Um, but, uh, you know, a company's coming in, pumping a whole bunch of money into not even at the top tier, you know, the tier that probably needs it more than any, uh, I suppose they all need it more than any. They all say that. Uh, and, and we're going to have a load of competitive handicaps, uh, you know, live on TV from some of the smaller courses who are probably suffering really badly at the moment. Um, what's not to like? I, I, you know, I, 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 Shergar Cup, I don't know, people are still so sniffy about it, aren't they? Like, you get people saying, oh, yeah, I went to the first one. I've never been since. And they're so proud to say it. Um, lots of people like it. It's, you know, you don't have to like every single element of racing that happens. You know, racing is a, it has a, lots of different kinds of races. Some people don't like you know, the cadre or something, because it's a really long race that goes on forever. Some people prefer sprinters. Some people say, well, I, you know, it's so busy these days, I only look at two-year-olds. It's just another thing that you have an opportunity to enjoy if you want to. And if you don't, well, it's not the end of the world, is it? You've got plenty of it. It's not like there's a shortage of racing. Um, no, I think, I think it's a good thing. Why not? You're looking forward to it. Will you try and get a team together? Uh, no, I won't be getting a team together. I mean, the only thing I wish is that all the races had 16 runners instead of 12. It'd be so much better for the each way. <laughs> that, of course, is if you can get on each um, Do let me know if you still can. Uh, job, job losses. This is a, a, you know, it's a very serious story pertaining mm. to the, the, the jockey club's workforce. That's 70 job losses from uh, jockey club. Uh, it's about 10% of just their over, over 10% yeah. of their workforce. And the, the new structure of the company is, is, is regional, but only east-west. So mm -hmm. four regions become two. And obviously yeah. with that, therefore, you know, there are jobs at all levels being, being cut out. Mm. I mean, you know, obviously it's terrible for those people that have lost their job. I have every sympathy for them. And, uh, you know, I hope they can find something else uh, soon. I, I mean, I, the last few weeks on the show, generally the topic of... Uh, you know, funding for racing and, uh, you know, growing the pie or how we divide the pie and whatever just keeps coming up. Um, you can't help but feel, and this is, you know, the reasons for this are, are long established and hard to break. But at the end of the day, you know, 
when you look at other sports, they don't have 20 different bodies all arguing with each other. They tend to just have one thing that does the negotiations. You know, we have, you know, the trainers, the jockeys, the race courses, the media, uh, the bookmakers, you know, and, you know, the, the BHA, the jockey club. You know, if you try to explain to somebody who came, comes into the sport, well, who runs racing? That's not a one-sentence answer, is it? It's like, well, there's dozens of different people that all spend all day arguing with each other. And uh, that's why, in a lot of ways, that's why it's hard for the sport to, to kind of improve. I mean, you know, you could say in a world where they're desperately short of money and that, that and I, you know, I don't want anyone to lose their job, of course. Uh, but, you know, streamlining and making the thing you know, a smaller, less bureaucratic administration in the long term is a good thing. It's not a good thing for those people that lost their job this week, obviously. Um, you wanted to talk about William Hill. This is a, a quite a big story in the betting landscape. Mm. It looks as though they're going to get taken over. And it well, they look, definitely are. Yeah, yeah, they are going to get taken yeah. over, but it's a question of it, it looks as though the takeover is going to be mm. um, a big American uh, casino giant. Yeah, so Caesars International uh, did a deal with William Hill, uh, I think about two years ago, to uh, William Hill were going to do kind of the marketing of the sports betting within their casinos, and obviously sports betting is opening up in the States mm -hmm. rather than just being yeah. uh, a few states. Uh, so and hills have a significant presence in the states at Monmouth Park and elsewhere. Yeah, they own uh, lots of small casinos. Actually, they they also they've done a. I mean, I could talk a long time about what they've done in the states, but they're basically they're already in bed together. Uh, Caesars are paying lots of money to William Hill on a on an ongoing basis for that deal. It made sense for them, even though Caesars are kind of bankrupt. Uh, to spend, that's ridiculous, really. Uh, to spend two point nine billion. Uh, on uh, on buying William Hill. Uh, what does that mean for the UK, William Hill, and what does that mean for racing is probably mm. where we come into it. Uh, what it does mean is that, it, ironically, the, the bit of the business that's useless and never made any money is the bit that they wanted. Uh, the bit that actually makes some money, the betting shops, uh, is, is kind of the best bit. Uh, they didn't want at all. So um, what will probably happen is that a whole bunch of people will be swimming around uh, well, that, that will definitely happen, to buy um, the, the, the website. Uh, they've got a couple of, I think, land-based casinos in, in, uh, in Europe. And, um, and the betting shops, they've got, they got 1,400 betting mm. shops. Uh, I think since the Fobbity change, we're down to about 6,000 betting shops in the UK. It might be slightly under that It was now. not as big a cut as we, we anticipated. Well, it? it wasn't. But then, of course, there's always cuts in betting shops now just because of the nature of shopping is changing. Mm. People buy online more than they used to. And, of course, COVID. You know, there's been a whole wave of new shop closures uh, due to COVID. So um, it has actually turned out to be slightly worse than, than we expect. I've gone over the time, but I think that this is kind of important. So... I think there could be a management buyout as possible of the website. Uh, that's definitely possible. Uh, but they may decide to just do the website side and get rid of the betting shops. Uh, there could be somebody that doesn't have betting shops come in, like 888 or Kindred, you know, Unibet. Yeah. Uh, they could come in and possibly buy the thing for the website, and that would keep the William Hill brand, which is, you know, it's been going since I think, 1936. Yeah. Um, I don't think the William Hill brand will disappear, but I think what's quite likely is that the betting shops end up with Betfred. Uh, him and his brother bought 6% of William Hill uh, immediately before they announced COVID, uh, I think at about 
uh, three quid a share. They went down to 30p when COVID came out. Uh, they're up fortunes now. They've made a, I think they made 175 million on that, that purchase. Um, so they're going to end up with the betting shops. I think Betfred currently have 1,500 betting shops. Uh, they won't be able to get them all, so they'll have to sell some, uh, and maybe some will close, and that has a knock-on effect to racing because the media writes it's per shop. Per shop, um, exactly. Betfred have been keen in the past, I think, uh, to sell to independents, which, if that worked, you get the media rights are more for independent shops than they are uh, for um, big chain shops. So I know I've gone. You are you're eating into Andrea Razzini. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, I'll shut up. But that you know it has an implication. I also was thinking about no, William, shut up now, William Hiller's sponsorship. <laughs> they had a big sponsorship at Redcar yesterday. Yes, I can't the think of literally trophy. any other race that they sponsor these days. Um, I was racking my brains. Uh, there was a big two-day card at York. In uh, there was, August, there was. You're right. I think you're almost right. every race. But I think you know that's probably a, Ripon, a small big card at Ripon. That's probably earlier in the year. The Grayson, the Grayson Wilfred, yeah. one of the oldest sponsors. They probably sponsor more races than Betfred do, William Hill. So that's probably a bit of a negative knock-on. Okay, let's uh, talk about <laughs> VIPs. I'm sure you are a VIP with every I don't know. every bookmaker. I have actually been course, a VIP. The VIP scheme is, is <clears> gone. It is. It is. Yeah. It is no more because it is. Um, yeah. It is a conduit to. Irresponsible gambling. Yeah. So, so say the government. Well, bookmakers generally, uh, I mean, you know, all, all businesses reward their best customers. I mean, there's that's, that's no shock. You know, whatever, you know, I'm sure if you're a horse feed manufacturer, uh, you wine and dine trainers quite often. Well, not at the moment. You know. <laughs> I um, but I mean, you know, you, I there's uh, going to be many dinners at Bally Doyle <laughs> with horse They might need a few. Um, but uh, you know, this, this shouldn't be a shock to people. Even you know, like your, your nectar card in the supermarket or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I think there has to be a world where bookmakers are allowed to reward customers to some extent. And it's quite difficult. You know, I've worked in bookmakers 20 years ago uh, when I worked in spread betting, and we used to uh, frequently ring up customers and say, would you like to come to a football match? We've got a box or whatever. And mostly they didn't want to come because they didn't want the missus to know that they were being invited by the bookmaker. Uh, getting them to come racing on a Saturday was really difficult. So, um, you know, that that's the thing that bookmakers have struggled with. But they... They're fighting over these kind of high net worth individuals that are their bigger customers. Now, of course, some of those then turn out to have got their money because they're an addictive gambler and they embezzled it from work or whatever. You know, those kind of stories come up quite regularly. It's, it's, I don't think they're a large percentage of the VIP customers. They're quite a small percentage. But, of course, the bookmakers don't want that to happen particularly, they would argue, because it's not, good, it's not a good look. Uh, but we are moving into a world where that kind of thing is just not acceptable anymore. You know, we have the situation of Tom Watson now going to work with Flutter. Yeah, you can see um, what, what they're the, up to the, there. Yeah, I think the bookmakers are definitely feeling like they've left it too long to get their own house in order, and they've finally yeah. decided we need to sort and that out. And what are they coming up against here in terms of government policy and policymakers as we roll into the next mm. roll, roll into the into the next talking point, which mm. is that it was announced today, and there's a piece in the Sunday Times about this, that 16 to 18-year-olds or 16 and 17-year-olds will no longer be able to play the national lottery. I mean, and Dominic Cummings is at, at, the, mm. at the absolute forefront of formulating this policy. Yeah. Number 10 doesn't like gambling mm. very much, does it, at the moment? Well, I, did, I saw Boris Johnson being asked about uh, his opinion on gambling. I can't remember where it was, but I just saw that a couple of weeks ago. And he said, 
he wasn't really in favour of young people getting heavily involved in gambling or well, something like that. No one's in favour um, of young people getting addicted yeah, to gambling, yeah, 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 of course, of course. I mean, no, nobody that works in the bookmaking industry or at the National Lottery wants to see that. Then I'm sure the National Lottery have been very careful about you know, their marketing to under-16s, but it did seem always a very weird anomaly that, you know, betting shops are open to people 18 and over, mm. and the National Lottery is, a, and, and, you know, online betting and, and much more, uh, and the National Lottery is, is, is okay for 16 to 18 You can get married at, at 16, can't you? Yeah, you can join the army at 16, you can have sex at 16, there's lots of things you, you can, can do Can at you 16. still smoke at 16? No, you, I don't think... Uh, you can. Not. I, you used to be able to, anyway. No, I think it's 18. Right, probably. fine, but it's... I don't know, it's a bad yeah. idea, wherever you, whether yeah. you're at 16 or 18. You, you did a good thing coming off those. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I just I think I think generally speaking, there is a move in government. Uh, ironically, because obviously you know the Conservatives are generally thought to be kind of less fair, and it's all mm. about personal choice and whatever. But actually, I think there is a move within government and on the Labour benches. Uh, you know, I think that there are quite a few Labour backbench MPs, some of whom they like have, legislation. Uh, this government, don't they? COVID notwithstanding. Yes, yes, yeah. Who was it who yeah. said that, that Matt Hancock and Michael Gove didn't see? There wasn't there wasn't a rule that they didn't like. <laughs> well, yeah. They just the problem with the, the problem with this government and rules is they never they can pass legislation they never remember their own rules. But um, uh, yeah, I think I think generally we're heading that way. And I think the bookmakers have seen that and they thought if they can get their own house in order first, that they might head off your uh, legislation of the past. You're out. That's it. Fine. Enough, Channing. Get rid of me. That's no it. Problem. Channing's out. Talking points are done. <laughs> Andre Ratzani after the break. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.